Greetings, I'm John Haspel. Matt Branham and I founded Cross River Meditation Center in 2012. The following is a Dhamma class recording from our center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. Please support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. So this is the second class of our seven, probably more likely a 10 or 12 class uh, structured study or review of right view and understanding five clinging aggregates. So the Buddhist entire Dhamma is about understanding the first noble truth by ending ignorance of four noble truths. And understanding the first noble truth, understanding Dukkha, is understanding the five clinging aggregates. The Buddha consistently taught that Dukkha is, is experienced as the five clinging aggregates, which represent the ongoing personal experience of suffering, meaning where we become, uh, we identify with our suffering. In fact, there's many sutras, I think the next one, where the Buddha talks about how we join with our suffering, which means we simply <clears throat> start creating identities by that, those, that things that are suffering. This is not necessarily things that we have identified as uh, unpleasant or bad. Uh, suffering arises from greed, so it could be even achieving things, but those things are such a distraction that it takes us out of uh, this moment in our life. So the next three suttas are on emptiness as the Buddha taught emptiness, which is a significant um, concept, but entirely different than what modern Buddhism uh, teaches emptiness or nothingness, uh, interchangeable in modern Buddhism, uh, which is usually taught as some kind of, um, I mean, I, 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 I practice in these traditions for many years, and it still doesn't make sense to me, but uh, emptiness or nothingness is presented as the goal of trying to establish ourselves in this realm of nothingness or emptiness, and that's just annihilation. And it's the result of not understanding what the hell excuse me, what the Buddha taught. Um, and so you, you create this these fantasies, these magical and mystical establishments, because you don't know where to go with it, which is awakening or gaining full human maturity. So to go beyond that, which the Buddha addresses in the sutta, is simply more fabrication and more ignorant because you don't understand even the direction that you're going with in the Dhamma. And so... And these three suttas, the Buddha wouldn't have taught if the Sangha didn't need to hear these teachings. In other words, even those that were practicing in the original Sangha with the Buddha himself as their teacher and other uh, teachers like um, uh, Sariputta, Moggallana, and Ananda, etc. Um, even they were, were still confused by this idea of uh, establishing yourself in nothingness or emptiness of perception of neither or the dimension of neither perception or non-perception or other dimensions that the Buddha addresses here, which is all just um, the, the dimension of nothingness or the dimension of infinite consciousness or infinite space or any of the other ones, as you'll see here, are just fabrications or just a distraction. Um, common during the Buddha's time and common during ours. The Kula Sanata Sutta, the lesser discourse on emptiness. 
The Buddha was at Savati in the Eastern Mon Monastery, a local palace. The Buddha's chief attendant and cousin, Ananda, returning from seclusion, asked the Buddha, on one occasion I heard you say, I now remain fully dwelling in the quality of mind of emptiness. Did I hear that correctly? Did I learn this correctly? And did I remember this correctly? The Buddha replied, yes, Ananda, you heard that correctly, you learned it correctly, and you remembered it correctly. Now, as before, I remain fully dwelling in emptiness. So that alone shows you what the Buddha is talking about. He's sitting there in front of Ananda, and he says, I'm dwelling in emptiness. So what is he referring to? There's no disturbance in his mind. And that's what his, uh, that's what his example is to Ananda and to all of us. Just as this place is empty of element, elephants and cattle, and empty of gold or silver, empty of assemblies of women and men, and there is only this non-emptiness of this community of monks. So the non-emptiness, meaning being in that local community, if you're attached to it, is still a distraction. Even so, Ananda, when not distracted by the perception of the village, meaning clinging to that perception, not distracted by the perception of a human being with self-referential views, I have something to protect. There is only mindfulness of a wilderness with no distractions to what is not present. So when we enter that, that um, initial state of mindfulness and our minds quiet even for a moment, we are resting in that wilderness. But because we're still clinging to ignorance, other manifestations of that ignorance are going to arise and be a distraction. The wilderness is also, um, I don't want to use the word metaphor because it's not really accurate. It's more of a quality of mind. And in, in my commentary right here, it says, there is no discursive or speculative thought. It simply means that you are now present for what's occurring. The mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of wilderness. The mind quiets and delights in the perception of wilderness. So we can, we can often get infatuated with achievements in jhana meditation and feel like we're, have, we have some great breakthroughs of understanding. But as you'll see, these are just gradual um, benchmarks along the way. Could you see the, the wilderness as as opposed to um, the cultivated world? Yeah, it's, it's where... Just, just as, as the wilderness is just there. Yeah. It's, just, it's, it's the world. Yeah, and it's like the, a wilderness is also uh, can be seen as an unexplored space. Mm. And also a space with all possibilities is a wilderness. You don't know what's behind that next little ridge. So it's, it's a perfect metaphor. The next section on this is called emptiness of the perception of the village. So form, feeling, perceptions, mental fabrications, and consciousness make up the five clinging aggregates. This directly relates to that third one. The Buddha's words. It is then understood that whatever disturbances that would arrive from being distracted by the things of the village are no longer present. So we've established seclusion in our meditation. Whatever disturbances that would arise from being distracted by the perception of, in parentheses, a permanent human being are no longer present. There is only the single-minded, meaning well-concentrated focus, based on the mindfulness of wilderness. Our jhana practice is deepening. 
It is understood that this perception is empty of the distraction of the things of the village. So we recognize this. This is in the um, in the four levels of jhana. This would be the, the the in between the second and the third jhana, where we're we're still using directed thought when we get caught up in the things of the village, and we direct our thought back to our breath, back to the wilderness. All right. So that's where we are in this. There is only this non-emptiness of the perception of village. It is seen as being empty of what is not there, empty of disturbance, in parentheses, empty of disturbance by external self-identification or empty of ignorance. What is present is seen as there is only this. We're not, we're, we're judge, judging what's occurring in our uh, jhana practice or even off our cushion has fallen away, fell away. <laughs> And we're not, and the length of time that it falled away is not what's significant here. The fact that it did fall away. I have to work there. <laughs> this is the entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is understood, understood and pure. So along the way towards um, completely ignorant of Four Noble Truths to this process of awakening, has elements of awakening in it, and it, they're there to be recognized. That's another. That's another point of this sutta and the suttas on emptiness. To, it, the counter to what almost every one of the teachers during the Buddhist time went to emptiness or nothingness. They were based on uh, Hindu teachings, but most of modern Buddhism, just as a commentary, is more has more akin to Hinduism than what the Buddha taught. But that's okay. Um, the, the, this, this is the entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is undistorted and pure. So in that moment, when we are <clears throat> empty of eye-making, that's an experience of what this is like. It's temporary because we haven't established full awakening, but, and the Buddha will teach us how to get there, just to pay attention and keep practice skillful. The next section is emptiness of the perception of earth. Furthermore, Ananda, as concentration increases within the framework of the Eightfold Path, there, and that there's a line there that the Buddha is even telling Ananda, his cousin, who, this is probably um, well into the Buddha's dispensation. So Ananda knows a lot. He's heard a lot of teaching. But the Buddha keeps reminding him within the framework of the Eightfold Path. Because again, these teachers, excuse me, these other teachers that are wandering around northern India and southern Nepal are having influences on everybody in the so-called um, spiritual practice. Um, remember the teachings, well, some of you probably have not heard it yet, on when the Buddha's discussed, the Arya Pariyasana Sutta is what I'm referring to, where the Buddha talks about having studied with Alara Kalama and Udeka Ramakuta, two prominent teachers of his time, probably the most well-known. Uh, and the Buddha studied with them, respected them, understood what they were teaching, and rejected them both as not leading to the goal. Um, one of them taught that the resolution of the Dhamma was in the dimension of nothingness. The other taught that the, their Dhamma resolved in the, in the dimension of, I think Udeka Ramakutta said that neither perception or non-perception but again, rejected by the Buddha because it wasn't leading to his goal. And those teachers were teaching um, 
what is akin to modern Hinduism, even though Hinduism wasn't established then, but there were the um, uh, the Upanishads and the Ravabah, I can't think of the other couple long poems that contain that right now, but <clears throat> the Buddha rejected all that, and there were still influences within the Sangha from that. So emptiness of the perception of earth. Furthermore, Ananda, as concentration increases within the framework of the Eightfold Path, the perception of wilderness and of human beings falls away. This passionate mindfulness of the earth arises. The mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the perception of earth. So our mind is quieting enough and our view is broadening to now not be so constricted to the few people we're hanging out with or the tribe that we have. And it's now expanding to take into your, your entire experience without discrimination. Buddha's words. Just as a bull's hide is stretched free of wrinkles with many states, that's mindfulness, free of distraction to the ridges and hollows, the rivers and oceans, we're not grasping at the things of the world anymore. The trees and the stumps and the brambles, the craggy irregularities of the earth, non-distraction based solely on the perception of the earth, free of those discriminating thoughts. I want to spend the day in that valley of that mountaintop looks great. I will be happy if I climb that. It is now understood that this perception is empty of a permanent human being. This person is now understanding, um, beginning to understand impermanence. Empty of the perception of a wilderness. So the mind, you're recognizing that your mind is changing, it's growing, it's expanding, and it's, it's becoming ever more pure. There's less and less distractions. Now there's only the non-emptiness of the perception of the earth. Emptiness of the perception of the infinitude of space is this next one. So now we're getting into more imaginative and fantastic realms that were common during the Buddha's time and common in all of our modern practices, which is different words. Emptiness of the perception of the, in, of the infinitude of space. Furthermore, Ananda, as concentration increases within the framework of the Eightfold Path, the perception of wilderness and of human beings and of the earth falls away. This passionate mindfulness of the dimension of the infinitude of space arises, as if this, this is just another distraction, but it arises in most everybody's mind in different ways. But anytime your mind is um, projecting itself onto some something in your imagination, it's exactly the same process of establishing yourself in the dimension of nothingness or of infinite space. It's all part of our imagination. So while it might seem real, especially if we start clinging to it or decide that to, to use affirmations to solve something that's wrong with me, such as uh, whatever an affirmation might be, I can't remember them, even though I used to use them, that you'll be a better person just saying something over and over again and maybe praying and bowing and doing some rituals and smudging, et cetera, et cetera. That's all based on this idea that you need to be a better person or something other than you aren't. That's the same as trying to establish yourself in any one of these non-physical realms that, as you see, the Buddha says, don't go there. The mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the dimension of the infinitude of space. I remember one powerful meditation. I wouldn't call it meditation now, but then I did. I can't even really remember what the practice itself was. 
when I was meditating on a on a sitting on a rooftop um, in Mendon, New Jersey. That's not that important. But for some, I was I was finishing up a job and I was going to go to Hawaii for a while, and I was sitting up there meditating. This is before I came to what the Buddha taught, and my mind cracked, and I felt myself being at one with the universe. And it was like I was floating above the whole planet on this, you know, looking down from this rooftop, but also from 30,000 feet. And it was an incredible experience that I'm still feeling or talking about 40 years later. And I thought that I had achieved something. In fact, I, my projection was, wow, this is really going to be something when I go to Hawaii with this. And of course, it was just all of my imagination. I wasn't a different person. I was just as distracted then as I was before I had that experience. But I thought it was real because it felt real. I had established myself in the dimension of the infinitude of space. My mind quiet, like it's, like the Buddha says here, the mind quiets and delights in the perception of the dimension of the infinitude of space. So we can do this with anything. We find something that we can attach ourselves to. It seems realistic. It seems wholesome. It might seem like it's getting us to some goal of salvation or uh, restoration. But it's really just establishment in a non-physical realm, in our imagination. It's just a distraction. But if we can convince ourselves of it, it feels really good. And if we if we get enough people around, form a tribe around this idea or practice, it's going to feel really great. But it's just a distraction. The Buddha says, <coughs> it is now understood that whatever disturbance that would arise based on the perception of wilderness, or of human beings, or of the earth, do not arise. Mm -hmm. The mind is empty of these perceptions. However, I put that in there, there is only the non-emptiness of the perception of the dimension of the infinitude of space, clinging to, to a complete fabrication. The quality of mind is regarded as empty of what is not there. This is further entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is undistorted and pure. Only if we keep going, right? We recognize these developments as just what they are. We're working through our own fabrications one by one. There's a, what is it? I can't think of the name of the sutta, but ending fabrications one after another. Um, Rahagata Sutta. This is what we're doing. The Buddha is describing this. And it happens to every one of us. I know it's very wordy. It can seem... Um, very conceptual. It's even a little bit hard to teach, let me tell you. But this is what we go. This is what I don't want to say what we're going through, even though I just said it. This is our experience as skillful Dhamma practitioners. And if this is occurring to us during our Dhamma practice, we know we're doing it right. Even the Buddha went through this. He taught it 2,600 years ago to his cousin. It's significant. It follows less. Uh, Tuesday's teaching, the first uh, first teaching in this structured study on the Kanda Sutta of understanding five questions. If, if you didn't hear that, if you weren't here in class or haven't listened to that Sutta and you want to follow along, please do, please listen to that because it really forms the um, foundation for what we're teaching here. Um, the Buddha first teaches us that the five clinging aggregates as we learned last, last class, are the ongoing personal experience of suffering. And now, in this next class, 
he's teaching us how to empty ourselves of this, how to be mindful of the five clinging aggregates and the various ways, the very um, intricate and pervasive ways that the mind works to keep maintaining ignorance of four noble truths. The next section is called emptiness of the perception of infinite and in the infinitude of consciousness. I have a really good friend of mine um, who is always enamored with the idea of cosmic mind when we talk about it, or one mind, a universal mind. And the, again, and I try to point him back to dependent origination and suttas like this, but it doesn't mean anything because they are so stuck on this idea that we must be that we must resolve this existence into some kind of one mind, universal mind. And there's no individuality. There's no humanity in that. It's just this concept. Furthermore, Ananda, as concentration increases within the framework of the Eightfold Path, the perception of wilderness and of human beings and of the earth and of the dimension of infinitude of space falls away. These things that we once, once thought were significant, are, we're now letting go of them, but we're still substituting. This passionate mindfulness of the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness arises. The mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the dimension of infinitude of space. The mind quiets and delights in the perception of the dimension of the, the infinitude of space. It feels pretty good. It is now understood that whatever disturbances that, what are based, that are based on the perception of wilderness or of human beings or of the earth or of the dimension of the infinitude of space do not arise. But the mind is empty of those perceptions. There is only the non-emptiness non of the perception of the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness. This, the quality of mind is regarded as empty of what is not there. So... Little by little, the mind is becoming empty of fabrications, but there's still more work to do. This is further entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is undistorted and pure. We know we're getting there. When we start getting to the point where we start, when we start, when we get to the point when we start fantasizing about the next moment, you know, this sounds rather grandiose to us, but it really is. I'm going to be something better than I am right now in the next moment. Tomorrow I'll be, I'll do this. Tomorrow I'll meditate twice a day. Tomorrow I'll do something different. Tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Because we're, we're, we're the, we're playing the carrot and the stick with ourselves, right? We're, 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 we're using our ideological views of what so-called spirituality should be like as the carrot. But we can never get there. But again, it's common. That's what the Buddha is talking about. We do this. We do this as human beings. We're always trying to find a fantastical way to establish ourselves because we don't think this is enough. Right? There is dukkha. There is self-loathing because we don't understand. The emptiness of the perception of the dimension of nothingness. Furthermore, Ananda, as concentration increases within the framework of the Eightfold Path, the perception of wilderness, of human beings, of earth, of the dimension of the infinitude of space, and the dimension of the infinitude of consciousness falls away. This passionate mindfulness of the dimension of nothingness arises. The, minds take, the mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the dimension of nothingness. 
the mind quiets and delights in the perception of the dimension of nothingness. So we have to keep reminding ourselves that if we're establishing ourselves in anything that is imaginative, there's, there's more work to be done. And just because these are um, these different um, distractions are taught later in the sutta, doesn't mean that they that there's something we should be we should grasp after. Just recognize. <clears throat> it is now understood that whatever disturbances that would would arise based on the perception of wilderness or human beings or the earth or the dimension of the infinitude of space, etc., etc., the mind is empty of these perceptions. There is only the non-emptiness, something we're still clinging to, of the perception of the dimension of nothingness. The quality of mind is regarded as empty of what is not there. This is further entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is understood and pure. We know we're going in the right direction. Emptiness of the perception of the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception. This is something uh, that um, one of the great Zen and he was picked up by uh, some Tibetan schools teacher, Nagarjuna. Um, the one line that would characterize everything that Nagarjuna taught, which is really thick, go read him and you know, you'll probably lose your mind over it, at least for a while. But his, his teachings are usually characterized by this one line to think, not thinking. And when I first heard that, I felt, wow, that's the answer. I got to get to that. And I still remember sitting in a house trying to get there, trying to get to this place where I was thinking, thinking, not, not thinking. But I kept getting tricked by my thinking. And it was, it really was the way that Nagarjuna, very, very um, intricate and magical and mystical in the way he perceived what the Buddha taught. So we had to resolve it in this way, think, not thinking. Why would we want to not think? We're human beings, we're supposed to think. If we're going to be mindfully pre present with our life as our life occurs, we must be thinking. But thinking with a mind that is framed by the Eightfold Path, not grasping after these fabrications. Furthermore, Ananda, as concentration increases within the framework of the dimension of neither perception, I'm oh, sorry, within the framework of the Eightfold Path, the perception of wilderness and of human beings and of the earth and of these other dimensions fall away. This passionate mindfulness of the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception arises. So he's talking about still a shred of ego left, still grasping after what is seen as an accomplishment rather than just an establishment. The mind takes pleasure and finds satisfaction in being mindful of the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception. The mind quiets and delights in the perception of the dimension of neither perception or non-perception. It is now understood that whatever disturbances that were arise based on the perception of wilderness, etc., etc., do not arise. The mind is empty of these perceptions. There is only the non-emptiness of the perception of the dimension of neither perception or non-perception. The quality of mind is regarded as empty of what is not there. We know where we are. This is further entry, we're gaining ground on this, further entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is undistorted and pure. Excuse me.
So now we're getting there. The next section is called Release from All Fabricated Views or Profound Emptiness. So again, the Buddha taught emptiness not as a, um, a vague, amorphous plane of existence that we should try to establish ourselves in, but emptiness as it relates to this single goal, emptying ourselves of ignorance of Four Noble Truths. That's it. That's the only way that the Buddha taught emptiness or used the word emptiness, to empty ourselves of ignorance. Finally, Ananda, having abandoned the perceptions of the dimension of nothingness and of the perception of the dimension of neither perception or non-perception, one abides in single-minded concentration, free of self-referential views. The quality of mind is regarded as empty of what is not there. Ignorance. There is a satisfied and pleasant abiding. The mind quiets and is gratified in single-minded concentration, free of self-referential views. Now, this is an interesting um, nearing the conclusion here. It is understood that this single-minded concentration, free of self-reference, is fabricated and formed by thought. Of course it is. Right? We're still dealing with the, with the human dimension, with being a human being. Having abandoned all self-referential views, it is understood that whatever is fabricated and formed through thought is impermanent and subject to cessation. A very gentle teaching, isn't it? We're learning now that everything is impermanent. So don't identify at a very profound level, right? We're, we're past the point of um, substitution for what we're not. And we, we let that all go. So we're just now present with this present quality of mind that we're now in control of. So what are we talking about in the fabrications now in this mind? Well, even at this state, well-developed in jhana, well-developed in integrating the Eightfold Path, there still might arise a disturbing thought. But now we know it's impermanent. We know that we don't have to act out on that thought. We can just let it go. We can take a breath. The mind quiets. Pleasant abiding. No matter what's occurring. We're gaining control of our minds. The Buddha continues, understanding the impermanent nature of all fabrications, the mind is released from the stress of sensuality, from the stress of becoming or eye-making from the stress of ignorance. It is understood that birth, in parentheses, of further ignorant views has ended. When the Buddha awakened, he said that his that birth is ended. Right? Everybody's seen that picture with his right hand touching the earth and his left hand, people make all kinds of things about the left hand facing up means it's just the way he held it. But he said, there is nothing left within me to provoke another moment rooted in ignorance. And that's what he's teaching us to do. The integrated life, meaning the life integrated into the Eightfold Path, has been lived. The path is complete. There is nothing left clinging to the world. So we keep our minds pure by not clinging. We've learned to deepen our concentration to the point that we don't crave for or cling to anything. It is understood that whatever disturbances that arose from the stress of sensuality, from the stress of eye-making, and from the stress of ignorance are no longer present. We recognize it. We know it. 
There is now only the minor disturbance connected to the sixth sense base that is dependent on the body with life as the condition of the disturbance. So we know as we move forward, as we get up off our cushion in that calm awakened state and go out about our lives, we know what reality is now. And we don't react to it anymore. Even when there's something that seems to be encroaching our mind that I might get upset over or be craving after or want, want, want to cling myself to, I can take a breath now. I have the control not to engage in eye making anymore. Now I'm free. That's a true free and independent and sovereign human being when we've developed the Dharma to that level. <clears throat> the Buddha continues, there is only the non-emptiness connected with the sixth sense base and is dependent on this body with life as a condition. Again, we're still on this body. Right? We're, we, we're not in some plane of nothingness. We're in the plane of dukkha. Continuing in that plane of dukkha is going to be, could be stressful, but now we understand it, so it's not. We don't stick the second arrow. We don't blame ourselves for the things of the world or the things lacking in ourselves or lacking in others. We're just present. What is not present is understood of, uh, as empty of what is not present, such as anger or frustration or greed or aversion. We know it's not here anymore. In the beginning, that can seem rather bland or even uh, contemplating it, knowing where we're going with the dollar. It can seem too bland to want to keep going. Or, and there's an inference here in the sutta, we want to juice up our eightfold path with a couple other paths. <laughs> It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. It's more grasping after. And again, the reason why we teach it, and I say that often, is because the Buddha teaches it. And it, and I finally learned from restoring these and reading them over and over again and teaching them was how important it is to keep this path pure. And if it's kept pure, if we make Dharma practice a priority in our lives, all of it, right, the Buddha the Dhamma and the Sangha, all of it, will awaken. Does anybody think we can't do this, can't work through these dimensions? Anybody know? Not that you can't, but you have to decide yes, that that is what you want. Thank you, Tracy. You're right. And without that decision, you're not likely going to have the conviction to keep going. Because, because you'll want something else, and that's okay. But you have to make a decision. You have to decide this is what we're going to do. Um, let me finish this. It's a long, long suit. This is all going to get sidetracked by my own commentary. What is not present is understood as empty of what is not present. Whatever remains is understood as what is present. Right? So life goes on. We're still human beings. But now we're simply a reference point to what's occurring. We're not reacting to things. We're not grasping after more. We're not trying to get some new secret knowledge in and nobody else has. Or just the people of my tribe have. We're emptying ourselves of ignorance. That's the point. That's what we're all doing here. Right? It doesn't separate us. And it doesn't even join us in a cause. It's, we're just here to, to support each other in understanding that we're striving to be empty of ignorance. And that's why our classes are structured in the way that they're structured. So that we can experience that. 
What remains is understood as what is present. In what is seen, there is only the seen. And what is heard, there is only the heard. And what is cognized, there is only what is cognized. So Ananda, this is final entry into emptiness, which is in accord with reality and is understood and pure. Ananda, whoever enters and remains in this emptiness, whether past, present, or future, they all enter in the same emptiness that is undistorted and pure, superior and unsurpassed. Again, he's, he's reiterating the importance of keeping his Dharma practice pure. They all enter it in the same in the same emptiness by emptying ourselves of ignorance through the Eightfold Path. Therefore, Ananda and all of us, train yourself to enter in the same emptiness that is undistorted and pure, superior, and unsurpassed. This is what the Buddha said, and Ananda was delighted with his words. So we got some time, but please keep your commentary to a few minutes, and we'll have plenty of time for everyone to speak. And uh, let's go online first. Mary, how are you today? I'm good, John. Um, good morning, everyone. I hope everyone had a nice Thanksgiving. Um, I think it it's a lot of words and um, a lot of concepts that can be confusing, but at the end of the day, it's understanding what is and what is not. And uh, I think it is just that simple, that that's the challenge we have for each of us is to monitor our thoughts and the quality of our mind and the quality of our experiences, et cetera, with, you know, recognizing what is and is not. Um, I guess that's all I had to say. So thank you, John. Thanks, Mary. Lewis, good morning. Good morning. Well, I don't have much to add, but thanks for having me. And um, I don't know, I just, from years of reading and going through the suttas, I think uh, keeping away from distraction and maybe going to the simp like going towards the simplest form of peace is kind of what I took away from that from that sutta. Always going yeah. for the, the simplest form of peace, I guess. Yeah, and and keep the practice in accordance with what is taught, not what we'd like it to be. Glad you joined us, Lewis. Good morning, Slav. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Um, I have a question. So if we... It's basically two questions. Second one is a, a little bit provocative. Maybe I will ask how, offline. Um, first question. If we try to empty ourselves from ignorance of for noble truth, it's not fabrication because we try to change something. What what was the question? Is it is it not so a fabrication if, to make the attempt? Yeah. Yes, because we try to change something. We try to change this moment. Yeah, even the, the eightfold path the Buddha teaches are are fabricated. So there's there's a skillful way of and of course it has to be. If our mind is rooted in in fabrications. The approach has to be something that is relevant to fabrication. So the need for us, you know, and it's, and it's it's one of the questions that some people might 
come up with? Why do we even need to do this? Why, why isn't this just part of who we are? Well, the answer is, this is the way we are. We're rooted in fabrication. So it, it's fabricated or put together for this specific purpose so that we can understand the fabrications. So even at the, at the post-awakening state, we still recognize that we could be prone to these fabrications, but we have more control of our minds now. We're well concentrated and we simply don't lose our minds. So that, that's the point. Nothing really changes to a human being except this exquisite peace and calm that comes from understanding. But of course it's all fabricated. It has to be. Or it wouldn't be, in, it wouldn't be accessible to us, right? Is that, yeah, right. is that a satisfying answer, I hope? Yes. And what was the second, or do you want to email me about it? Uh, it's about Nigarjana um, teaching. It's a little wrong interpretation. Yeah, let, let's let, let, give me an email on that. We don't need to go into I mean, I, I mentioned him just because, just as an example, but yes, it's actually why I said we're gonna do offline. Yeah, thank you, Slav. Hello, Tom. Hi, John. Um, I will take noble silence today. Thank you for the teaching. I'm glad you joined us. Hello, Kevin. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. It's good to be back. Uh, I missed a couple of weeks, and uh, it's uh, it's so important. It's just so um, great to hear this teaching. Thank you so much. Um, and it, it is. It's. I just love the progression of this, the images, and the way it is. And it's really the way our minds work. We wander, and we attach ourselves to the earth. We attach ourselves to these things, but we can let them go. And um, it's great to be reminded of that. So thank you so much, and uh, see you again. Thank you, Kevin. Brian. Morning, John. Um, Good morning, Brian. Yeah, similar to, to Kevin, the, um, again, the, the three marks of existence, right? These are all impermanent, impersonal experiences or perceptions. Uh, if you attach to them or identify with them, you'll suffer. And so the, the emptiness is found by the, the abandonment of attachment and identification. So too, the suffering. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Well said. Um, Julia. Good morning, John. Good morning, everyone. Hope you all had a great holiday. Thank you for the teaching. I think early in the text, like the the texture of the quality of mind. We don't talk about texture too much, but it seemed like the Buddha was describing such a smoothness. Mm. If you follow, you know, these teachings versus other ideas as which are less smooth. And I think that was just a a new layer of understanding for me today. So that's what yeah. we Thank you, Julia. I, yeah, I, I never thought about it texturally, you know, as a quality of mind, but that's a, it's a good, it's another good way of explaining that quality of mind. Yeah, we've been having a lot of conversations about learning styles or understanding styles or how you 
are you a visual person? Or are you a, like an auditory person? I think texture came out for me today. So. Well, thank you for sharing. I'm glad you joined us. Good morning, Zach. Good morning. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy the, the concept of the wilderness. And what I see, I see wilderness as unconditioned in a certain way. And, and that really resonates for me. So I'm going to stick with that this morning. Thank you for the you joined us. Harpo's taking noble silence. So. Oh, good. Anybody mind being on camera this morning? Everybody's hair is combed. <laughs> Let's go to Mark first. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Okay. Thank you so much for appreciating It's a very profound Sutta, sparking million thoughts. Uh, so, um, I, one of the things that crossed my mind is that you, that you keep in mind all of these things at the same time. Yeah. Don't take this, don't take that, don't do this. Don't yeah. So, but um, uh, I guess I'll get one of these days. Yeah, it's, it's really, um, nobody does this all at once. Nobody goes from um, being stuck in the village to the resolution but just recognize it where you are in your practice are you able to even on just on your cushion get a few moments where you're just focused on your breath where you're not distracted by your usual thoughts which <coughs> excuse me most of our thoughts are initially um, community based based on right how we're living and then they might expand out to you know the war here or whatever this or that things that are further externally but so if you notice that you're not distracted by your your, your immediate surroundings and the people in your immediate universe you're progressing and then expand it outwards well one thing that really stood out to me that, that you may uh, mention is um not getting attached to provocation of your mind because you know self-loathing we're always looking for something beyond us uh yeah that's so profound and i think that's that's what's afflicting most of the people is getting yeah. attached to deities and because it must be good boys and girls yes yeah. the uh, um they won't get the ultimate the ultimate reward um yep. for salvation for a bunch of bs yeah well it, it is it is for us but there's still a lot of people that believe it yes and the buddhist again the buddha wouldn't be referencing that if it wasn't common during his time it's been common ever since human beings you know first started thinking and looked up at the stars and had to make an explanation for all of this you know so whenever you decide that you're lacking in anything it could be that you're not you know you're five foot eight and you're not five foot nine and it bothers you you're stuck in an ideology that's 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 a complete fabrication but you could spend your whole life feeling limited because you're one inch shorter than you think you should be and that will affect everything in your life and you'll be looking for salvation because you think you need it because you're only five eight you used to be only five eight now five six so it's all very basic uh, practice. It has nothing to do with all, with anything outside of ourselves. It's all what's going on in our mind. So by you recognizing it, 
now. That's Dharma practice. You know, you're, you're realizing how to practice and how to apply it. That's what this sutta is about. Again, the Buddha was telling Ananda this, his own cousin. This is what you do. This is how you recognize it. You know, it's, 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 a, it's wordy. It's a difficult sutta to teach, but it's so important. And I think everybody here understands it. At, and they're taking, it's interesting that you're all taking something out of the sutta that you find relevant to you. But you don't need to take in the whole sutta. You can't. So come back to it. I don't remember if you were here Tuesday, but if you weren't and you haven't listened to Tuesday's talk, please listen to that. I'm playing. Yeah, because that'll that'll help put this suit in a little bit in context. Sometimes it doesn't matter too much, but we started off with the Kanda Sutta. So if you get a chance, Thank listen so to much. that. Thank you. Hello, Raquel. Hello, John. I can't tell if I got John's camera. Yeah, no. I don't know who I had on camera before. I think David. Oh, there you are. Right over Jen's shoulder. Hello, Raquel. Hi, John. Thanks for the teaching. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hope you all had a peaceful Thanksgiving. It was. Um, I think no matter what uh, we do, I think the it's all about practicing. Yeah. Going back to meditation and practice. Until you get better without cleaning. Well said. Thank you, Raquel. Becky, Sangha Mom. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for the teaching, John. <clears throat> um, there was a lot of words. <laughs> Self-referential views... Recognizing self-referential views through really Shana meditation and the Eightfold Path is in my my mind is 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 it is Dhamma practice because you will continue to realize that a view that you you never you never perceived before or you never thought of as being a form of ill will mm. or some something else is is and you if you as you meditate and you just try to live the Dhamma, self-referential views become clearer to you. You mm -hmm. can recognize what is. Yeah, they become apparent. Uh, they become apparent. And even and that that's just the first step. Yeah. You know, they become apparent. That doesn't mean that, that you're never going to have them again or they're going to go away or you're going to. But you're going to recognize them as they happen and you're going to become more skilled at letting them go. Yeah. And that's really 
I felt that this pseudo was sort of taking you through that yes. process to the end. Yeah. So, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. I mean, I, the Dharma practice is all about recognizing and abandoning self-referential views. And this wordy sutta is about how we do it, you know, the, the, the typical um, traps that we get caught up in, mm -hmm. common during his time and common today. It's just, so nothing has changed, you know, we're, we're just, we're human beings trying to understand something. And if we, if we try to understand what it means to be a human being while insisting on remaining ignorant of Four Noble Truths, we'll never get there. But once we understand that and understand what we're trying to do here, understand Four Noble Truths, now we have a path of practice. And then the only challenge is to keep it going. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, John. Good morning, Tracy. You're on. Good morning, John. Thank you so much for this teaching. It's <coughs> really profound for me today. Um, I see this, and I think everybody's been saying sort of the same thing in different ways, but I see this sutta kind of, it's kind of like a reality check yeah. in a way. Yeah. Because one of the things I've been sort of skipping or missing or not completely grasping is the idea that impermanence ultimately and you know we don't talk about it much but the reality is it's that we are going to die like not to be so morbid about it but yeah it's true, true. It's true. but yeah. that is the dukkha that is creating this grasping after all these states mm -hmm. yeah because yeah. we just don't want to look at that reality and then there's this other side of this teaching, which is like, and I think that um, Slav kind of brought it up in his comment, like, well, why would we practice then if that's also a grasping after something? And it's like, well, we're here and we want to be calm to Jen's, we train for calm yeah. point. Yeah. Like, why would we just go through this life miserable and suffering? And so, like, I made this sort of diagram in my notebook of, like, death clinging jhana, the path, and then, like, then there's peace and release, and then the death is like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. that's fine. Yeah. We can do that. We can do death. Like, we can do anything. <laughs> yeah. But we can only do it if we are practicing. Yeah. Otherwise, it's terrifying. It is. Because and so don't understand. I'm, like, seeing the whole... I see it as like a cycle that requires constant <clears throat> practice. Yep. Um, so this was very profound for me and, and um, useful, and I think will help me even further with my practice. Yeah. It, 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 you're, you're right to characterize it that way in your view of profound, because that you are expressing an understanding of really the heart of this, the heart of the matter, you know, that this is what we do and it's why we do it. And it sounds, again, as Jen loves to say, and it's really perfect, we train only for calm. A lot of people would say, boy, what a waste of training. You know, who, who cares about that? And not everybody does. But if we do, this is the way to, to get it. You know, and it's by letting go of everything else. And if you think about it, if we train only for calm, anything that is a disturbance, including grasping after and clinging to anything fabricated or conceptual, we've lost our minds. But we can take a breath and come back into right here and right now, in this present moment. And then there's calm. 
So if calm is important to us, if that's what we want to train for, recognize what's disturbing your mind in the moment and let it go. And if you let it go and it comes back again, let it go. Take another breath. There's always another breath until there aren't. Is that right? Or isn't? Isn't. Isn't. Thank you. Isn't another. Ain't. Until there ain't. That's that's the right English. There's always another breath until there ain't. So that teaching tells us, okay, all that I know of is I might have one more breath to do it. Hopefully. Hopefully there's more than one. But we don't know. So now's the time to awaken. You know, now's the time to practice. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. Uh, I'm going to teach you um, Yeah, training for calm only makes sense if you, once you realize how much of your time you spend not calm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean not calm? <laughs> I'm the calmest person I but I like the way that, that uh, the Buddha set up his cousin here. Yeah. Um, because he must have heard either Ananda himself or, or the, the other That's Sangha true. members um, talking about emptiness. You know. And so he threw out that little nugget of, oh, I'm just, I'm, I'm drilling in emptiness. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Until. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah. Until Ananda picked it up and said, oh, well, what do you mean? Um, and then he just takes it through the, the jhanas yep. to say, this is emptiness. This is what's here, and that's what's not here. It's, it's as simple as that. It is. He, he basically, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a teaching on the, on the jhanas. It is, it is, it is. And again, a lot of words, but it really is simple when yeah. you understand the context and how to apply it. But he was just dispelling confusion uh, yeah. in, in, in both in Ananda and, and in, in the Sangha. This, you know, all this talk about emptiness. You have you have no idea what you're talking about. This is emptiness. Yeah, yeah. Again, even during the Buddhist time, every everything that I studied before I did this resolved itself in some form of emptiness or nothingness. Even in the Tibetan lineages, yeah, the teachings um, and, that I and all those Zen you know, teachings were. The teaching that I got from from, from Osho, yeah, where, where and it came down on emptiness, yeah, and yep. the, the unknowable and, and, and all that stuff, yep. and uh, it it just doesn't lead to any calm or clarity. It just it's confusion, yeah, and, and a lot of pain and suffering because you and this ain't, yeah, it ain't. <laughs> Thank you, Ron. You ain't bad. It's Jim. Hi. Morning, everyone. Morning. Um, yeah, so I think you're just um, always being present with what is happening yeah. and not getting distracted <clears throat> by what is happening. 
in the mind around what is happening. Mm. <laughs> That's right. And even if that is different realms of meditation, are still only observing what's happening. Yeah. Practicing observing what's happening without getting caught up in reaction or directing the mind towards my making. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, David. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you, David. Uh, thank you all um, again for a great discussion. I listened to last Tuesday's talk on this Kanda Sutta. It was a great discussion afterwards that will make even more sense after this class. And we're going to two more classes on uh, emptying the five clinging aggregates of ignorance. And I think we, I think this is going to end up being a 12 class review and take us right to the end of the year, but I'm not sure. There's a few suttas I might add to the end. The next sutta will be the Maha Dukkha Kanda Sutta, the greater discourse on Dukkha. Um, the lesser is actually a longer sutta than the greater. But I can't figure that one out why. But we'll finish with, are there any other questions or comments before? Okay, we'll finish with Metta as we always do. These are the Buddha's words on Metta uh, from the Karaniya Metta Sutta describing the qualities of an awakened human being. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. The Buddha's words from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech. <coughs> Humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud and demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. They are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, 
being freed from all sense desires, having completed the path, does not give birth to another moment rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Thank you, John. Thank you. Peace. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. Bye. John. Thanks, John. Have a great day, everyone. A great weekend. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you find benefit here and to learn more about the Buddha's Dhamma, please support the continuing restoration and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com.